Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Rainy Day Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It is the most wonderful time of the year, fellow conspiracy realist. Happy Halloween. Uh, we hope that this finds you in good spirits. Uh, uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we also hope that you uh, you tune in to a couple other Halloween episodes our crew is doing. As we mentioned, 13 Days of Halloween is officially out. Do check it. Uh, you will enjoy it. We hope, uh, and uh, also, well, yeah, and if you haven't yeah. listened to all of the other three seasons, as you're like going through one episode per day for season four, just go back and relive the other, mm-hmm. yeah, the other stories. I'm yeah. almost done with my spooky synth score for uh, the story we talked about last episode. I'm really excited, I'm trying to crank that out today for the future, because now by the time you hear this, it will already be out in the world. So, and Matt has uh, for many years with Aaron Mankey and Alex Williams ran the ship for 13 days. Uh, I have been privileged to write uh, several episodes every season. You'll probably be able to tell which ones uh, in what. Oh, and last plug, check out uh, Ridiculous History, uh, our episode on trick-or-treating. And you're never too old to trick-or-treat. You're never well, too old to wear it. There's, there's a cutoff, I think, for expecting candy, but you can, like, get accompany kids, you know, if you hey, If you work them, so hard yours. on a costume and people are already walking around, then, I mean, yeah, cons you know, are trick-or-treating for adults, I think, you know? Yeah. Respectfully disagree, but yeah. Never mind. I, you, you can't be an adult and trick-or-treat. That's like a whole thing. People will, will, will 
Look at you funny. Well, let <laughs> us know what you think, folks. I, I just have to say, uh, so far, for eight years, I have donned a costume and walked around with my son, uh, you know, kind of trick-or-treating with him as his surrogate when he was too young to actually say the words. And then, you know, <laughs> now I just kind of stand back. and But you I still had, wear a costume. You had some epic costumes, too. Twinkle oh, tweet. Yeah. I love when the little twinkle tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> and we, since we love Halloween so very much, uh, we also like to do an episode that speaks to some of the conventional tropes and ideas of Halloween. Uh, we wanted to dive into something pretty bizarre tonight. There is a tinge of ridiculous history to this story, allegations of unearthly powers and infernal contracts. Most importantly, there's a hell of a lot of conspiracy in this evening's exploration. We're talking about witch hunts, the fact, the fiction, and the big question how did witch hunts actually work? Why were they so prevalent in the past, in the, in the Middle Ages, and it, particularly at the end? Why do they remain prevalent in parts of the world today? Here are the facts. I, I guess, Noel, Matt, we got to talk about the fictional version and also say we're not dunking on Wiccans at all or any like non-Christian belief systems, etc. Never. I mean, some of my favorite people in my life are Wiccans. <laughs> Every Wiccan I've ever known has been a lovely, kind uh, human person. Super nice. Like Midwestern or Canadian level nice, the Wiccans. You know, they're like, hey, you want to come hang out? We're, we're always having a potluck, you know? And you might not get all the levels of conversation, but they're they're just like anybody else very kind people who have a set of beliefs that you may not share. The fictional versions of witch hunts, though, uh, shout out to uh, shout out to one of the first things Aaron Mankey worked on with us. The fictional versions of witch hunts in in the West are usually depicted like this. This is pretty much every movie. There's a place that vaguely resembles medieval Europe or the early European-founded American colonies, and things go bad for the town, right? There are bad signs. Uh, people are all increasingly poor, and children or livestock are stillborn or born cursed, you know, which means having some sort of physical or mental ailment. The well what runs dry. That's always a big thing. Uh, the crops fail, or most of the crops and people are scared and they're hungry and they're tired and they pray in the church and God leaves them on red. Isn't it funny that, man, that's not funny. It's horrifying that just how many things uh, that were entirely based around ignorance were blamed on witches, you know, and demonic <laughs> forces. It's tale as old as time. And now we use the term witch hunt to describe, I mean, it's been politicized, obviously, but describe somebody being, you know, heckled or, you know, gone after, you know, for something they supposedly didn't do. But now again, it's been used kind of as like almost a dog whistle for something they probably did do. But hey, it's a Witch hunts. Everyone's after me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's weird how similar and different simultaneously those fictional versions are to reality, right? Like because there really were bad things happening all the time in medieval Europe or in the American colonies or you know in Scotland or wherever you were in the world. Bad stuff was happening all the time in medieval ages in the 1600s. Oh yeah. Are you kidding? The lack of sanitation alone. Uh, eventually. 
this fright ferments, uh, both in the real world and in fiction. And let's stay in fiction for now. Eventually, the fright ferments, as it often does, into anger. The town authorities feel their credibility is under question. And so they put someone else to the question, for any fans of the Inquisition, and uh, they look for someone to blame. Or the town does it themselves. They uh, start spreading rumors. They start saying, hey, I saw so-and-so walking by the day before all those cattle were stillborn, etc. And there's not really there's not really any proof of this, as we'll see in in any kangaroo court of a witch trial uh, there, especially in the nascent American colonies. Uh, there was this directive that spiritual evidence or perspective or experience was admissible. So you didn't have to talk about something you could prove if you were a witness. You could talk about something you believed and you could be forthright in saying, well. She's got a weird hat, you know, uh, in, in fiction, there's, you know, the, in fiction, the witch is almost always a woman, overwhelmingly so, and gets arrested by the ecclesiastical authorities, the church powers, and she's put on trial for any number of bizarre crimes. You get testimony from victims, stuff like uh, old widow Hammerschmidt put a hex on my farm or she put a magic bridle on me and turned me into a horse against my will. And we went to midnight sabbats, uh, <laughs> meetings of witches. And then it's usually implied that there was some sort of fornication uh, with other witches or with the devil Stuff that's a little too fast and loose, and sometimes the devil's in the form of a goat, so you got bestiality. That's scandalous. And uh, in fiction, very few of the witches ever get their charges dismissed. Oh, and in fact, as well, very few people accused of witchcraft ever got their charges dismissed then and today. Well, because it's also like hard to prove a negative, you know what I mean? When there's no actual proof for the thing other than things that are made up by the folks that are trying to convict these people. It's it all goes back to doesn't all go back, but a great, uh, you know, I guess parody of this is in Monty Python where it's like, is she made of wood? Is she then she's a duck? What else floats or whatever? Like, it's that absurd. The, 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 you know, the factors they use to prove these things. And in fiction as well as fact, no matter how bizarre the accusations, how scant or manufactured the evidence, how solid the defendant's alibi, these were always what we would call kangaroo courts. They were, I would argue, more public theater than legal proceedings. So the witch was almost always found guilty. In the world of fiction, novels, plays, short stories, films, they almost always show a violent execution, drowning. Death by asphyxiation, being crushed by rocks, burning at the stake as the witch with her dying words utters a terrible curse that will haunt the town for generations and a full franchise of film to come. Cool. <laughs> I mean, if you live in the U.S., you're probably most familiar with the Salem witch trials because fiction spends a lot of time and money on them. But the issue, the genuine conspiracy goes far, far beyond Salem. Maybe we talk about the factual versions here, because as you pointed out, Matt, there there are commonalities. These breathless fictional adaptations did not come from a vacuum. No, no. People have been studying witchcraft and trials of witchcraft for God. I mean, it's been 331 years since the Salem witch trials. 
And well before that, hundreds of years before that, human beings were obsessed with witches, like in the 1500s in Scotland. I mean, it's just, it goes way, way, way back. Mm-hmm. So 1400s in Germany. Oh yeah. Which witch hunts were, were so hot, you know, such well, an industry. And, and you're right. You guys are so right that it goes back to fear. It goes back to religious belief and, and a bunch of other things. Um, I, I think all of us, well, I don't know. Did you guys have to read the crucible? Like as part oh, yeah. of your, mm-hmm. yeah, I, uh, it's I, a really great piece of work. I took several classes on the history of witchcraft and witch hunts in college. Um, with, nice. Well, you know, we mean, made, it's a, it's an elective. Well, that's cool. I, I didn't, I didn't have that. That would have been awesome. I would do that. Jeez. Uh, we just, um, you know, when we made unobscured, we talked to Aaron Mankey. Mm-hmm. We were in Boston and all over the place there, like talking to people who've spent their lives researching the Salem witch trials alone. Just that one section of history, right? To to try and find the best understanding of what actually occurred and why, right? And um, it is it it is a weird mixture of all the stuff we just talked about, the fictional things with. Again, it's it's like with politics and hardened religious belief and people controlling towns and countries with that religious belief as law. Yeah. And while the fictional stuff is cool, right? One of I think one of our collective favorite uh, recent horror films is literally the witch, the witch. Mm-hmm. Uh, while that's all cool, the factual versions are unfortunately Severely uncool accusations of practicing illegal or damaging magic, left-hand path stuff for any of the initiated in the audience this evening. Uh, Those accusations are found in every single ancient culture all throughout history, all around the world, zero exceptions. Like you were saying, Matt, it's not just Salem. It's not just Europe. It's not just the global West. But there is a difference the focus on the West comes from something relatively distinct. Accusations of witchcraft in other cultures were openly often a means to express or resolve social tensions, but they had different consequences from those in Western society. In the 11th century, witchcraft and sorcery the attitudes toward it began to change. Uh, And this part of this was uh, due to ecclesiastical authorities. It's a process that transforms the Western perspective on witchcraft and immediately associates it with heresy, with uh, shaitan, right? With uh, the devil, as we would say, Lucifer. And by the 14th century, this fear of heresy, heretical, blasphemous thought, and this fear of Satan, coming into your home, right? This added charges of diabolism, of devil worshiping to the usual indictment of witches. Before this time, in most of the world, it would have been trafficking with evil spirits. It would have been using the technology of magic in an incorrect or deleterious way. 
Yeah, as opposed to like, you know, the wizards and witches of uh, King Arthur's court, you know, some of which are like hanging out and like they're part of the team and they're like doing you a solid. That did not spring from this kind of thinking. Although, of course, that that is uh, some of the earliest uh, forms of Christianity back then. But this version that we're talking about was a way of weaponizing this and othering people by putting them in, you know, the camp of practicing some of those uh, those things that you were talking about, Ben. Well, don't don't forget there there are learned people in these times that do things like design temples and you know do stone craft work who practice some pretty some things that you might find pretty strange at the time that people might have found to be magical or alchemical right um, and who there were beliefs going around but it was this like that was the magic for good kind of thing right. Until it was politically convenient to target those people, the hedge doctors, the, you know, the, but like, <laughs> if uh, you'll, you'll know when you've entered a witch hunt phase of society, when like your local doc in a box or minute clinic starts getting targeted. Well, I'm kidding. It's not going to be them. It's going to be your local smoke shop or alternative medicine shop. Well, well yeah. And like a shaman. A shaman who is very, it's very distinct and different from someone practicing witchcraft, but depending on the viewer, right, and the beliefs of that viewer, it could be the same thing. It could be synonymous. Right, because any, it's othering, right? Anything that not is not me is um, some antagonistic, amorphous them. And this, this is important because in the West, what happened uh, is that people began associating any esoteric non-Christian belief or practice with witchcraft, with devil worship, with uh, maleficium, which is malevolent sorcery. Uh, and there's a famous book about that, which we'll, we'll talk about. That book is responsible for a lot of deaths. This combo meal, sorcery being inherently associated with the Christian concept of the devil, is what made witchcraft unique. Uh, in the West from the 14th century all the way to the 1700s, witches were believed to inherently uh, hate the idea of Christianity. They were making pacts with the devil. They could call upon demons to accomplish magical deeds, but unlike Solomon, when they did it, it was bad. When Solomon did it, it was just sort of dope, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matt gave a thumbs up on that one. And uh, and then they would be accused of uh, specific symbolic acts of disrespect, desecrating the crucifix, talking trash or doing mean stuff to the Eucharist, the uh, consecrated bread and wine. Oh, and then they, you know, they had sex outside of marriage was the idea. They could change shapes. Uh, they kidnapped and murdered children to eat them or to use parts of their body in magic rituals. Uh, and that one, ooh, remember that, that comes in at the end of tonight's episode. But our point is, that's a lot. And the reality is that while some people, because Thousands and thousands of folks died as a result of witch hunts. While some of those people probably did practice what was considered sorcery, and while some of them may have practiced it with the intent to harm another person or living thing, some may have even thought they were worshiping the devil. In reality, if you look at it, 
not a single victim of a witch hunt ever fit the fictional depiction of a real witch, which, which, which sounds surprising because believe it or not, folks, there is a conspiracy afoot, a hoof. Never mind. Uh, in the world, in the <laughs> a world cloven of, foot? Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. A cloven hoof in the world of witch hunts. Believe it or not, it was not the witches who were conspiring. And really quickly, guys, I want to shout out a an historian in a book that ties directly back to the things you're talking about, Ben, where uh, women were often targeted and, and sexuality was often kind of at the heart of this, like, especially a woman who was taking sexuality, her sexuality into her own hands and wasn't, you know, living by all of the rules that were being imposed on her. Uh, there's a book titled Six Women of Salem, The Untold Story of the Accused and Their Accusers in the Salem Witch Trials. It's written by Marilyn Roach, and it is it is just a fascinating book that uh, it does look at six individual women and goes deep into their lives and stories to look at why they were accused uh, and like all of the social stuff going on around them and in especially intersocial relationships that they had and onlookers and how they became involved in the Salem witch trials. I really appreciate you pointing that book out, Matt. I enjoyed it as well. And uh, perhaps we are launching a, a bit of a defense of those accused of witchcraft, again, not just in Salem, but in the world entire. Believe it or not, folks, while this conspiracy is afoot, it was not the witches conspiring. It never has been. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and then we're going to, I think we'll nerd out on some more books. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts hey guys i'm home everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker sorry i'm late everyone there was an accident at the factory monty fell into the upholstery machine don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. 
We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. All right, back in the day, ancient civilizations took the existence of spirits, good, evil, and neutral, as fact. Magic was considered a kind of technology, and the idea was that if you were a responsible member of society, you needed both religion and magic to defend yourself from spirits, to appease those spirits, to, like Solomon, occasionally control them. And this all changed with the rise of Christianity. God in the Christian theology is seen as the sole source of all good things, and therefore to practice tactics that are not expressly condoned and greenlit by biblical text became heresy and blasphemy, no matter the intention of the magician. And there are passages in the Bible that condemn that kind of stuff, right? Like, so it's like the rules are set forth in the holiest of holy text for this particular um, belief system. Oh, I'm going to do it, guys. I'm going to go real fast. Ready? Exodus 20. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. No merch. Got it. Can can I ask, Matt, who is meant to be speaking there? Who is meant to have interpreted? But like who? who Talking to Moses. He's talking to Moses. Okay. So this is all coming from Moses saying, God spoke to me and he said this stuff. On Mount Sinai, one Mm -hmm. of the six or seven times Moses went up to the mountain and said, hey, guys. The 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 tablets, right? The commandments. Well, yeah. yeah. But there's a series of like hanging outs that Moses had with God on Mount Sinai, where he literally said to everybody else, don't come up here. God said he will literally kill you with a sword. If you come up here, don't come up here. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. A <laughs> little bit of siloing information. Great. A, little, a little bit, maybe. But anyway, yeah, he it, Exodus goes on in all of the commandments, the Ten Commandments that you know, as well as a bunch of other rules and mm-hmm. laws that God communicated to Moses, according to the Bible, that have to do with that very thing. Do not worship anything that is not me. And also don't hurt any fatherless children or widows, or it says literally in the Bible, in the King James version, that God will kill you with a sword and leave your children fatherless. Oh, Mm -hmm. that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. There's also, uh, 
there are also multiple mentions in the Bible of magic, of not oh. practicing magic, right? Dude, yes. And, uh, and the idea then, again, is that magic is now defined in Christian theology as anything that is not God. No matter if it's helpful, like anything that uh, is the only spells you are allowed to do are prayers. Well, heck, it, I mean, it reminds me of like, what is it, Christian scientists that don't believe in medicine? Or there's certain, you know, subsets of, of, uh, of Christianity that won't put anything external into their body. Because, I mean, in some ways, the modern form of magic, I guess, is things like medicine and surgery and stuff. It is a way of controlling the narrative, you know, beyond what God hath, you know, deigned to be the case. Mm-hmm. And this is an odd reversal of history. Just a side note, you know, the so the Christians, and we have a lot of Christians in the audience here. You, we know that you are not launching witch hunts. We got your back, folks. Don't worry. But uh, back in the day when Christians were functioning as a state force to repress dissent, uh, you have to wonder whether they were aware that Roman civilization had earlier done the exact same thing to them. And of course, Jewish communities were always going to be targeted whenever it was politically convenient. Uh, we'll, we'll see a microcosmic version of this when we look at witch hunts. The real conspiracy behind witch hunts was on the part of the witch hunters, not their victims. Uh, to get a better understanding of this, uh, Matt, I would, I would recommend in addition to six women, uh, Folks who are interested should check out a fantastic book uh, by Dr. Carol F. Carlson, which is called The Devil in the Shape of a Woman. This thing was published in uh, 1987, but take our word for it, folks. It's a banger (laughs) because Carlson is one of the first academics, the first researchers to do a serious, intense interrogation of Puritan history in the early American colonies. And as a result of this investigation, which also applies to Europe later, Carlson found that there were specific predictable demographic dimensions to people accused of witchcraft in New England. Those dimensions were, the, the three big ones were the age of the victim or the accused, their marital status, and their social class. This, again, it applied to the European theater and the European theater set the tone in the 13 and 14, 11, in the 1100s to like the 1400s. It set the tone for everything that happened in Salem, the tragic events, which kind of pale in comparison to the, um, to the murder programs of Europe. Uh, it, it's nuts because even Pope Alexander IV outlawed witchcraft trials in 1258. He was like, ah, it gets out of hand. How, getting out of hand. Yeah. yeah. How long can a church exist if we kill everyone that we want to show up? You know? Uh, well, and fear of God is one thing, but like fear of pain of death, you know, at the hands of these purveyors of the word of God starts to really erode trust in your leaders <laughs> after a while, right? Think, think about the paranoia that would exist in any small village, right? Where like you, you're looking around at everybody trying to make sure you're never doing anything that could ever be even in the most remote way associated with witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trying to out holy roller each other. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
It's the Puritan Olympics over here in there every village. I love that. Well <laughs> done. Yes. Uh, and so the Pope, who is like the grand poobah, the big authority, he's got the hat and everything. Uh, if uh, For people practicing Catholicism, this is a direct spiritual ideological descendant of everything that Jesus Christ wants you to do. So when this guy says stop or go, you're supposed to stop or go. However, in this case, after he makes that um, decree in, in 1258, that papal bull, uh, in that case, his decision gets thrown out. Uh, a few centuries later, you know, the Malleus Maleficarum comes out, which is the the gold standard on how to torture and execute and convict witches. It doesn't spend much time on figuring out whether they're innocent. Just spoiler. Have you guys seen that movie, Drag Me to Hell? Yes. It, it's uh, a little problematic on hindsight. It came out in like 2009. <laughs> right, There's right, like right, a right. Roma woman who is the, you know, the villain who basically curses this this woman who totally doesn't deserve it. But the way they portray the Roma culture is a little problematic. But there is a book presented at some point by like a seer type figure. It's called like The Sacrifice of Animals in Service of a Deity. And I bet books like that exist with those like woodcut kind of like prints, you know, of like here's exhibit. A, how you slaughter the goat and do all the things, you know? Check out our grimoire episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I, but again, sorry, guys, that's an exodus mm-hmm. of how you need to sacrifice animals on my very specific stone altar that you're not even supposed to touch with a hammer or something or you're going to mess it up. But don't sacrifice them on non-stone altars. Yeah, <laughs> it's also related, the animal sacrifice in particular, which is a magical ritual, right? Uh, it's also uh, closely related to uh, keeping kosher, to kashrut, to Islamic laws about what is halal or haram. And so we we see this all occurs concurrently. Why did people ignore the Pope? We'll get to that. One big part of it was the Protestant Reformation. That uh, lead single from Martin Luther went viral Absolute banger in the early 1500s when he wrote 95 Theses, you know, uh, which is clearly what Jay-Z is referencing when he says 99 problems. Think about it. There's a lot of doctrine in there. (laughs) But uh, a witch is not one. (laughs) Right. right. A witch is not one. Love it. Okay, that's in the mixtape. So both of these camps of Christianity, Protestants and Catholics, beep me here again, Paul. I'm sorry I'm cursing a lot. These groups hate each other. They think the other one is basically a devil worshiper with more steps. And because they had this intense beef with one another, they needed to recruit folks. They needed butts and seats. They needed hearts and minds. And they realized quite quickly, and it's very cold, but they realized quite quickly, one of the best ways to convert people was to show the power of your God and your belief on the ground, in the field. You know what I mean? Burn some witches. Show people that there are real world consequences for joining the wrong team. Yeah, or just hang them or pillory them. You know, leave yeah. them, leave their body there for a little while. So Throw everybody's got to yeah. see. Everybody can afford rocks. 
You know what I mean? Uh, uh, and drowning, of course, if there's a convenient water source. And if she floats, she's a witch. If she dies, you know, <laughs> might be. It was meant to be. Yeah, yeah it was meant Can to we, be. Let's talk about just really quickly that uh, the ordeal of the, like, the what is it? The swimming, what do, what do they call it? The swimming test, I think, back mm, in the day? The dunking stool, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's a great article. It's, I think, a blog that's a part of the Library of Congress, where Nathan Dorn goes through back in uh, 2022, he goes through and looks at the swimming test in particular. Um, and my goodness, you guys, he cites the legal arguments that were occurring about this swimming test. If this person is a witch, we'll put them in the water. If they float, they're a witch. If they don't float, they're not a witch. And, and all things are great. But they're going back and forth. Saying like one guy will say, oh, well, God surely will show us the witch's true nature if we throw her to the water. And another says, well, do you presume to demand a miracle of God every time you, you know, do this? And the other one says, no, the water itself will reject the witch's body. The I mean, waters it's just of God. He hath wrought that. I screwed it up earlier. The the Monty Python bit is a duck floats in water. Um, if a woman weighs the same as a duck, then she is made of wood. The woman weighs the same as a duck. Therefore, the woman is a witch. That's the the roundup. But it's obviously inspired by what you're talking about because it's so absurd. It's and so the, absurd. the ducking stool that was the predecessor of this specific type of execution I was – at first, just a form of social humiliation and punishment, similar to a pillory, uh, you would be you would be punished for being something like a disorderly woman, or complaining too much, or a there tradesman who swindles, and they'll they'll dunk you, and everybody will be like, ha, 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 "Look at you, you're you're wet, and your life sucks." But the people who are laughing. Most of the time, their lives also sucked. And it, eventually they weaponized this, just to finish this thought, eventually they weaponized this to kill people. And isn't it funny, slash terrifying, that the remnants of that are at like a local fair or a state fair with like the dunk tank? That is totally a modern bread and circuses version with without killing of exactly what we're talking about. For people to be able to like have schadenfreude watching someone get, you know, humiliated publicly. But, you know, with less consequences, with lower stakes. Yeah, we'll see. It depends on how the rule of law functions going forward, which is another twist at the end of this episode. So in short, folks, what you need to know is that witch hunts were a decentralized on and off again industry. They're an early version of satanic panic, but they're also a business and business. Dear friends was quite good when when it was happening. The groups who are most vulnerable to being accused of witchcraft, and thanks again to Carlson's fantastic research, they're going to be women. And these women are going to be over 40. And the data we can find is kind of mixed when it goes to marriage status. But the main thing is social position, social class, women who were in line to inherit land or assets from fathers and husbands who had passed away often fell under suspicion, especially if they didn't have a child, right? Because if they had a child, they could be kind of like a suzerain, you know, they could, they could rule uh, their property and then fall back on the kid, especially if it's a young boy for, 
to keep everything right in the eyes of the law. But without that, and especially if they did, if they could no longer bear children or if they were too powerful in patriarchal communities, then they were targeted. They were stripped of their livelihoods because you can't take it with you. I can only imagine that the inability perhaps to have children was even used as proof. They've been stricken barren by the infernal one, you know, stuff like that. I'm sure that was said uh, at times. Imagine being a mother who has a uh, stillborn child or a child that dies shortly after being born and experiencing one of the most unspeakable traumas of human existence only to have the authorities in your town say it is proof that you worship the devil when it rains, it pours indeed. Yeah, it all goes back to the, the biblical traditions, the stuff that's written in there about what literally the, I don't even know how to put it. The stuff that shows that the male, the man is in charge of all these things. Right. And as you said, Ben, the, the child, if it is a male, then it becomes the next bearer of all of the importance in that family. But absolutely, you know, nothing is granted, especially to wives, to daughters. And, you know, it, in, in Exodus, it talks about selling daughters off, basically. Sure. That I which mean, you possess with your right hand. Yeah. Your possessions. So, you, yeah, it's just, again, it's so deeply rooted in that stuff. Um, it, I really appreciate the, the book. Ben, because that, that the devil in the shape of woman is just a perfect book to show exactly how deeply rooted all of this stuff is. Quick correction. Uh, that which you possess with your right hand is a reference to the Quran, which also, by the way, surprise, bans witchcraft. But, oh, yeah. But is, it, is it also a reference to like the right hand of God, the father and all of that stuff? And is that tied in in any way? I've always yeah, wondered, like it, the left hand path versus uh, the right hand. It's like a microcosmic, I think, echo of that. Uh, the idea of possessing something with one's right hand is that it is ethically just and sound for you to be the person controlling this thing, whether it is whether it is a tool a handheld tool, whether it is property, whether it is a family member or, you know, again, also people, a slave. It's talking about slavery Dude. as well. Dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't have to get into, <laughs> we don't have to get into the antebellum theology that got weaponized in the U S a few centuries after Salem, but we got to tell you the commonality of demographic is important here. The people most likely to be accused of witches didn't really change uh, in in the West for a very long time. And the folks who the folks who were prosecuting this Protestant denominations as well as uh, Catholic officials, a lot of times they were not experts in theology or law. They just like ancient societies believed magic was a fundamental scientific reality they believed witches were reality the way that we would consider the speed of light a constant today you know you might disagree with people but you're like eh, yeah you know light that's the thing gravity that's the thing you know the periodic table that's pretty non-controversial and you know picture them having these conversations and saying like well the papists are bad but witches are real though right and then everybody's like oh yeah totally yeah i mean 
witches. Yeah, dude. It's just so fascinating to think of like such an unprovable uh, constant like that guiding so much of history and the rules kind of being made up by the ones with all the power every step of the way. Sounds like no way to live. <laughs> you know, jeez. A lot of people didn't live. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> True. Uh, uh, and weirdly enough, and this is something I think surprises a lot of people. Puritans in, uh, in general were comparatively more progressive than their European counterparts, especially when they went to the colonies, you know? Uh, and when we say progressive, no, we don't mean the modern version of progressive. We mean they were a little less crappy toward women. European clergy typically believed women were innately given to evil. And as such, they would be more vulnerable targets if infernal actors, the devil, turned them against the uh, mission of God. And, yeah, because the serpent and, did it in Eden, right? Mm-hmm. Classic, classic. He and, said sarcastically. <laughs> and so, and very anti-reptile, you know what I mean? The whole mm-hmm. tenor of that. But, but Puritanism, in contrast, viewed women as naturally good and godly, capable of doing one of the most godlike things you can do, which is to create life. And they were better than dudes Asterisk, so long as they stayed within their strictly defined roles determined by the church. I think that's probably largely why women have been so demonized throughout history, because they have the most fundamental power, you know, to produce male heirs or whatever, just to create life, a thing that nobody else can do. So it would make sense to target them, you know, at such a fundamental level and try to control them because they have this, this, this power, that nobody else has, you know? I mean, historically, that's what you do. When someone's more powerful than you, you try to subjugate them uh, as best you possibly can. Hmm. I mean, it's true that any women who deviated from these social norms foisted upon them from birth, they were immediately open to accusations of witchcraft. And we're not just talking about sex outside of marriage. We're not just talking about raising your voice in the public square to say, hey, make life better for everyone. We're talking about stuff like literacy, like reading things other than the Bible. That would get you in trouble in this progressive environment. The odds were stacked. Yeah, don't do that. The odds were stacked against women from the beginning and continue to be so today, I would argue. But look, there's a conspiracy, right? At this point, we got to, again, we might say, all right, look, no one involved in a witch hunt, victim, persecutor, audience, none of them were stupid people. In fact, a lot of them were good faith actors, and they were rationalizing the arrest, the torture, the executions as a matter of fighting for the greater good. But just like an evil spell, uh, the well of their cognition was poisoned. They had ulterior motives, which were inseparable from their ostensible mission. Their accusations came from economic, familial, and community disagreements. Look at almost any witch hunt throughout Western history, and you can trace a rise in problems to a rise in accusations of witchcraft. Right. For example, as the European colonies in New England started to grow, um, land was at a premium. 
You know, it's a finite resource. It became more scarce. People were like just scooping it all up. And economic inequality um, became much more of a concern um, with each of these new kind of problems that were, you know, introduced because of these changing circumstances. These accusations began to grow as a result of disputes. Right. It's like my neighbor is possessed by the devil because he won't respect my property line, that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. hundred percent. It's also, it's also weird because this, to the point about control you're making, Noel, uh, this solidifies, this solidifies stability for the given hierarchy of the time. You know, it's like a solid witchcraft prosecution, one that looks good. It justifies the existence of the leadership structure, you know, it's like, let's just say the quiet part out loud. War is almost always great for the career of a U.S. president. It is extremely rare for those guys not to get reelected if enough people die. In any country, mm-hmm. in any conflict. Yeah. Yeah, most of them. Because it solidifies some sort of national pride or mourning, kind of. Or, like, I would think it'd be the opposite. It's like, look what this jerk did. He he killed our boys. You know, he sent them out to their deaths. But somehow it's this counterintuitive result. It's very interesting. Well, it's the need, it's the belief, right? I think maybe that's inside of humans or is evolutionary or something, where if we are in a time of war, we don't want to change guard. We don't want, you know, the people who are in charge of us, we don't want to switch everybody out. No, that team is already on alert. They're the ones in charge are there, right? I don't know if that, that in my mind, that's hundred percent what it's about. Certainly part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is all right. So this is the issue. Just like you could say a president or a political leader may be incentivized by certain things that are terrible for innocent people. The witch hunters, the judges, even the civilian accusers were incentivized to find witches and not to give them a fair shake, to convict them. The accusers in allegations of possession, especially, they often themselves were acting out of self-defense. They were young women from what you would consider the working poor strata of their given society. And they were terrified that because they were on the outs, they might get accused of being witches. So how do you do that? You get in front of it. And, and then they were, they were uh, expressing frustrations with a terribly unfair world. Uh, and sometimes they would adopt wild, uncontrollable mannerisms, uh, at least according to Carlson. And they would claim this was a case of possession at the hands of a witch, not me, her. And this was one of the only forms, at least in New England, of acting out that was acceptable to puritanical society. And, of course, numerous other similarities throughout the world. Exorcisms in Islam, the case of the screaming girls of Malaysia. Check that episode out. Oh, yeah. And what you're describing is a big plot point in The Crucible, you know, where it's like these young girls that are, you know, doing all this crazy stuff. And it gets not blamed on the girls, but blamed on someone who has communed with the devil to have them influence. You know what I mean? So it's a way. And also the person that gets targeted is already an other is is a is a black woman. 
you know, who is already seen as being a little problematic in our society, you know, the society of the very white, uh, you know, colony that's portrayed in, uh, in, in The Crucible. Uh, one more book recommendation, because, you know, we're, we're saying these things, but not all historians agree with a lot of the things, which is which is really cool because you kind of get to see the truth and reality and everything we're talking about here. But then there are also counterpoints that you can explore. And I would just recommend uh, In the Devil's Snare, the Salem Witch Craft Crisis of 1692 by Mary Beth Norton, another amazing historian that like will kind of break down, like say, yes, that is true in these like certain instances. And then there's this other weird thing that was happening over here. I, I think it's just worth it worth your time if you're really interested in this stuff and in norton's defense she is far from a one-trick pony historian her speciality is colonial history overall oh yeah and i I think she tuned into a zeitgeist with exploring the salem witch trials which um i understand why they get such intense examination especially in the united states uh, it it is important to remember, of course, that that there's a precedent set there. Another book recommendation: you want to see the mentality of where a lot of these folks were coming from, not just in Salem, but in New England overall. Check out "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." That is, uh, oh man, the way it's written. Still, I totally disagree. By the way, uh, and I I hope if you're uh, hearing this show and you've read this book or this screed i hope you disagree too but we have to admit boy that guy could write mather could write he he knew how to move a crowd why is god so angry all the time you guys well if you ask mather he has some pretty specific opinions on that one <laughs> and uh and they they didn't they also did not practice what we would call metaphor Right. They did not practice analogy or simile or any of that stuff. So like there was a snake that came into the chapel where Mather was preaching one time and he killed the snake in front of the uh, in front of the crowd (laughs) in front of the church, I should say. And to the crowd, this was not just a weird coincidence. This was not a, um, a cool analogy. The devil came. And with the power of God, Mather killed him in front of everybody. You just can't get a live show like that in a lot yeah, of places. His boot was involved as well, I think. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, just so. And, I will uh, crush thee, serpent, under my boot heel. Mm-hmm, pretty By much. Vanquish thee. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was a revival energy. I mean, okay, so as for the hunters and judges, here is the genuine conspiracy that doesn't get talked about often enough. In Europe, in the nascent U.S. as well, these folks worked on commission. If someone's legally convicted of witchcraft and sentenced to death, almost always based on a confession derived from torture, any land, any assets they possess are automatically up for grabs. The church, Protestant or Catholic, gets its vig, and some of the rest goes to these persecutors, prosecutors, judges, sometimes even witnesses themselves as a payment as recompense for their good deeds. So dude, yeah, the church of England uh, in the form of local magistrates would pay monthly wages 
to witch hunters in England in like mm -hmm. the 1600s. Yeah, yeah. Like almost like, like you said, on a commission basis, like here's a monthly wage for that witch you put away. Thanks for doing that. Which, my God, if that's not a motive, holy mackerel. And P.S. You're getting paid, by the way, often in firewood. That's one of the major. Currencies. That's one of the big things. I was very. It was. It was the Bitcoin of its day. All right. So let's do a thought experiment. Imagine you're a person living during one of these satanic panics during the time of witchcraft hunters. You know, let's make it tough for you in this situation. Uh, what do we need? What do we need to make someone a target of witchcraft accusations? Uh, you got to be widowed, right? No kids. Those are checking the boxes. Uh, not always, but yes, that's very good, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, not to profile, but uh, but yeah, that that makes you. In, these are the factors that make you increasingly likely to be considered a witch, widowed, no kids. You got money, you got land. You know, uh, <laughs> other farms weren't doing so well the past season, but you through some inexplicable circumstance you had a pretty bumper crop people increasingly envy your success they start to ask some questions reasonable questions at first they always are why her why not me why that farm why not well, mine because she has a cat and a birthmark obviously mm -hmm. surely it can't just be luck god has a plan and weren't we all supposed to be in the same boat why is this person not also, wasn't she saying something kind of controversial within earshot of the chapel maybe a few years back? I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was something like this. And then boom, 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 rumors spread. You get arrested. What's your experience in court going to be like if the judge sentencing you, the prosecutor adjudicating your case, uh, and even a few of the witnesses all know in advance that they get a piece of your farm and a payment from the church upon your conviction and death. Dude. Well, so the question is then, how do you prove without evidence that this person that you want all their stuff is a witch so that you can take all their stuff? And that's how you get stuff like the swimming method, right? Because <laughs> now we've got a way that we can prove in the eyes of the law, oh, this is in fact a witch. And uh, she must, you know, all of her land is bestowed upon us now. While we're talking about the um, the legal proceedings, uh, Matt, do you want to talk a little bit about compurgators? Oh, yeah. This is a vocabulary word for me, at least. A, a compurgator, a sworn witness to the innocence or good character of an accused person. And the reason why this comes up for me, at least, is because I was reading that article from Nathan Dorn. Uh, I'll just read a quick part of it here. Um, there were some crimes, this is talking about, like, 17th, 16th, 17th century England. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Nathan says there were some crimes that were simply not amenable to other forms of judicial proof, namely crimes for which there was no witness for which the defendant could not find compurgators or witnesses to their good character or for which the defendant's oath was held to be unreliable. Right. And he's citing uh, Bartlett here, uh, which I don't have the exact site citing for but i know that author i just can't connect the dots right here but I just one last thing in these cases what was needed was evidence from an absolute or divine point of view so things like this the ordeal stuff the trials that witches would go through was a way to supply that point of view in a way that 
a lot of people, not everybody in a village or a town or city would believe, but enough of them would believe it because it matches up with their pre-existing beliefs. A hundred percent, you know, and, and here's the other part of it. <laughs> Witch hunters like the notorious Matthew Hopkins, he was for, in his day, he was sort of the Drake of witch hunting or the Kanye <laughs> of witch hunting, uh, the yay, excuse me. And he, he and his team and his crony cronies, his goons, uh, they were crone. Interesting. They were not paid just for doing their job, right? They were paid upon conviction. And this meant that every dismissal, every single person accused of witchcraft and later found innocent directly equated to money and time out of their collective pockets. So we have to ask ourselves, how much work did these people really want to put in to investigating innocence? Right? Dude, can we say he he had over 300 women executed? He's in a terrible person. 300 mm. month salary for each one of those. Wow. Uh, you can read his book, by the way. He wrote a book in 1646. It's titled The Discovery of Witches, an Answer to Several Queries Lately. Uh, <laughs> and he calls himself Matthew Hopkins, Witchfinder. Ah, yes. Witchfinder, too. Also, while we're at it in book recommendations, there is a fantastic series uh, from the Hellboy universe. I think it's Edward Gray, Witchfinder. So if you dig Hellboy, oh, wow. check that one out. Yeah, it's super good. Super good. Uh, and these witch hunts, we do have to say, they overwhelmingly targeted women, but men were also not immune. And and people who were non-binary, although they wouldn't have been called that at that time, they were also not immune. Uh, while women were overwhelmingly targeted, uh, other people would be targeted, especially if they were socially isolated, again, unmarried, if they had controversial public opinions, or if they suffered from a mental or physical ailment like Peter Stumpf, uh, which is an entrance to a rabbit hole. You, you can search of your own accord, folks. Uh, and what better time to do that than now as we take an ad break? This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts hey guys i'm home everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker sorry i'm late everyone there was an accident at the factory monty fell into the upholstery machine don't worry though, he's fully recovered. 
Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of course. As our pal Matt Frederick can assure you folks, there are no longer actual witch hunts in Salem, Massachusetts. There's a ton of tourism. I don't think so. I don't think there are any more right now. But that doesn't mean there aren't witch hunts all over the planet every year, like all the time. They're all in Washington, D.C. mainly. No, they're they're everywhere. Everywhere there is dissent or, you know, contradicting opinions. It is very easy to use the same concept, you know, dismissed of any of the supernatural trappings and just, you know, do the same exact thing. But instead of like being an actual witch, it's like you did this thing or you've got the secret agenda or whatever, you know. When people talk about witch hunts today, they are usually going to be in the realm of politics. They're going to be political opponents attempting to delegitimize a criticism of themselves or their associates. Kind of a dog whistle, as someone mentioned earlier, but no one's accusing each other of practicing malfeasium. And we'll, we'll get to that modern day turn at the very end that you mentioned. Oh, that. okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, but they are, right? Like, I was reading in Scientific American, the like over a thousand people every year are charged with witchcraft. Yes. Yeah. Why are there not actual occult witch hunts or diabolist hunts uh, here in the U.S. today? It's because it's not like the authorities one day said, okay, nice. We got the last one. High five, freeze frame, you know, roll credits. What happened is that life got better overall. That's exactly what happened. Those socioeconomic factors were removed. People felt less of a squeeze. And as a result, the hunts began to die out. But because this is not a single set of events, uh, because it's a collection of tactics triggered by socioeconomic pressures that result in the deaths of innocent people, like you said, Matt, witch hunts do continue in the modern day. They're not in the news as much unless you look for it, but innocent people do continue to die, 
due to these false accusations and allegations, modern witch hunts right now have resulted in a much higher death toll than the old school ones in Europe and the colonies. Uh, particularly if you're looking at the hot spots, you're looking at India, the Amazon, a lot of sub-Saharan Africa and Papua New Guinea. So why, you might be asking yourself, is this the case? Um, Without painting with too broad a brush here, we can see a lot of similar socioeconomic factors at play, Um, starting off with uh, economic inequality, differences about uh, ruling powers and conflicts between those in power, a need for control, uh, a need for, on the individual level, um, to avoid feeling out of control. Uh, In fact, if you want to go into actual belief here, perhaps uh, exercising some control by blaming external forces, you know, for certain events that uh, that are troubling to you in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The idea of taking agency, right? I can alter the world such that I set it and my community and my personal existence right. However, I get to that point, I am fighting for a greater good, and indeed, I am fighting for my continued existence and prosperity. We have notable cases, uh, each of which could be their own episode. Uh, there are tons of witchcraft accusations every year uh, in on the African continent, sub-Saharan Africa in particular, uh, often against children. Uh, see also our earlier mentions of the mutilation of children who have albinism for magical purposes. So there's, there, there's kind of a both sides argument because there are also, as evil and unclean as it is, there are people engaging in the murder of children for magical purposes, which is something like uh, Hopkins of old often accused people of, but it is actually happening in some parts of the world. And if you go to rural India, you see a, a, a similar, somewhat paradoxical thing. People go to uh, local holy figures, practitioners of traditional magic or esoteric beliefs. But those same societies will also target women for witchcraft. And it's even worse than it was in Salem or in Europe back in the day. In these cases, the women accused are often knowingly framed and attacked without trial and sometimes murdered. And the cases go on and on and on. And to be completely honest, they're conspiracies. They're likely going to continue because we're talking about parts of civilization where belief in magic as a weapon has itself become weaponized as a tool of material gain and ideological control. And that's crazy. Right. But it's true. Yeah. Uh, Check out the article. How social turmoil has increased witch hunts throughout history from Scientific American. It's written by Sylvia Federici, I think is how you'd say it, and Alice Markham Cantor. It's really interesting. And they point to over a thousand people who are accused of witchcraft uh, every year. So that's like. People who get expelled out of their homes, people who get, as you said, been killed or, you know, tortured, basically, because they're being accused of witchcraft. And uh, I would also recommend listening. We made an episode, guys, a while back. I think it was called Is Witchcraft on the Rise? And there's a video, Modern Witchcraft, something like that, that speaks directly to, to this subject. 
Mm-hmm. And that's I, I'm glad you mentioned that Scientific American article, Matt, because that came out this year, folks. That came out May of 2023. Uh, so the the conspiracies are real. <laughs> Don't ever forget it goes deeper than the government's debt. You know what I mean? Uh, at this point, we want to pass the broomstick or the mortar and pestle to you. Thank you for joining our Sabbath. What do you think, folks? Have you or someone you know ever been involved in uh, a case of ostensible witchcraft? Do you believe there may have at any point in history been some real sand to these accusations? Send us the spookiest stories you can find. We try to be easy to find online. That's right. You can find us at Conspiracy Stuff on all of the social media platforms of choice. Uh, X, FKA Twitter, Facebook, and uh, YouTube. We're Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and TikTok. Hey, we have a phone number. It's one eight three three stdwytk When you call in, give yourself a nickname and uh, let us know if we can use your message on the air. Guys, I forgot to mention something. Well, we're going to do it right here. It doesn't matter. Um, Danvers, Massachusetts, there is a place that the three of us need to go. It's called the Danvers Archival Center. It's at the Peabody Institute Library. They have actual writings, so like actual um, uh, artifacts and books and letters that were all written around the Salem Witch Trials at the time. And they've got a whole section there on the Danvers State Hospital for the Insane. Do you guys know that place? Heard of, but never visited. Guys, we need to we need to take a trip out to Danvers to do stuff on that place. Uh, no, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, sorry. And, like it is, it's some of the oldest American history that exists. And man, just that stuff about what how society treated people in a more modern time uh, who were dealing with mental illness. Like, oh man, we should do this. Oh, but uh, if you don't want to call our number, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are. The folks who read every email we get. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks. scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.